0: One of the most interesting courses I took while I was in seminary was a course entitled Ancient Civilizations. The course was intended to give the background, the origins and development of the people of the world, the civilizations of the world. And a major focus was upon a rather small area of land that was called the Mesopotamian Valley or the Fertile Crescent. That's still in the news, by the way. That's where all Iraq and all of those places are. The Fertile Crescent, because it was there they believed that civilization actually started. Many anthropologists and historians believe that it was in this area that the roots of civilization took place. They believe this because they have found everything in that area that is supposed to characterize a civilization. Every element constitutes a civilization they claim is found in the fertile crescent. Things such as means of communication, forms of writing, hieroglyphics for instance, where they had a little tool where they etched messages into the stone, into the rock. Uh, This was the the earliest form of writing found here. A legal system trade. In fact most of the things they found there were receipts of things that were done transactions between people, religion eating utensils, farming tools, an irrigation system and of course weapons of war because of course you know you cannot have civilization without weapons of war. That was supposed to be a joke. But they found all of these elements there and because they found these elements there They said that the fertile crescent was the cradle of civilization. That's the name they gave to it. The cradle of civilization because all of these items that were deemed necessary to constitute civilization was found there. As I was preparing for this again, I was reminded of a story I read some time ago about a teacher Um, asking the children, what do you think is necessary to be present in a civilized nation? This is what the teacher was asking these grade school children. And they were to indicate three things in order of importance. Three things that they believed constituted a civilization. Do you know what the answers were? Number one, TV. Number two, Kentucky Fried Chicken. And number three was McDonald's. So (laughs) that's civilization, civilization for people. But as I was saying, the point is that the fertile crescent is considered to be the cradle of civilization because certain specific items were found there that were necessary for civilization to begin. Now, if we apply this same principle to the Christmas story that we've enjoyed focusing upon this past week or so, I believe that we can look at the Christmas story as given in the New Testament, especially as recorded in Luke 2, as the cradle of evangelism. Not the cradle of civilization, but the cradle of evangelization. Because all of the basic necessary elements for evangelism are to be found in this story of Christmas. And in the words of the song that is sometimes the gift goes on. If we look at the Christmas story as the cradle for evangelism, then we would have to say that that's exactly what we should be doing after Christmas. To continue to give the gift that came. Two little fellas were playing with the, tool, with the toys, and man, they had a lot of toys, and they were so glad. They played all day long. Finally, one fellow says, man, this is so good. So, I'm going back inside, and I'm going to wait. So, what are you going to wait for? I'm going to wait for Christmas to come again to get some more things. Many people are like that. They're already starting to count down for day one looking forward to the next Christmas. The drunken new people are doing that, you know that, eh? They've already started. A lot of people are now looking forward to the next Christmas. But let me ask you as Christians, what are you gonna do now that Christmas Day is gone? Are you just gonna simply wait for next Christmas? Wait for the cantatas, and boy, we had some great cantatas, isn't it? Don't you believe it? We had a great cantata. Wait for the young people to put on their musicals, and we had a great one. Wait for the manger scene, and we had a great one. Isn't that right? Wait for the feeding uh, on the boxing, and that was a terrific one. And by the way, let's give a real hand to all of these folks who were involved. I thought they did such a fantastic job. The manger scene, the decorations here, we're so thankful. But now what are we going to do as Christians? My proposition to you today is that the Christmas story has built within it. What are we supposed to do after the event? You see, I believe that that Christmas is also the birth of evangelism. I believe that the cradle of the Savior is also the cradle for evangelism. Let's take a look at this and see if we can validate that from Scripture. Take your Bibles, please. Go to Luke chapter 2. I'm going to begin at verse 17 and go backwards this time or go back and forward. Luke chapter 2, verse 17. We're going to be looking at some of the basic qualifications, necessities for evangelism. Notice how the passage begins. Now, depending on what version you read, but mine reads, "When they, <clears throat> excuse me, when they had seen him." Now, the King James version and other versions read, "When they had seen this," but that word "this" there goes back to the direct object of mentioning Jesus in the cradle, and so it is quite accurate to to interpret this or translate this: "When they had seen him, when they had seen." Him seen whom? Well, go back to verse 16 now. Get your Bibles, look at verse 16. It says, the baby who was lying in the manger. This is what they saw. This is who they saw. The baby lying in the manger. That was the motivation for them to do what they did. When they had seen the baby who was lying in the manger. That's the experience they had. They saw a person, a babe, lying in a manger. Now what is so significant about that? Well, look at verse 12 now. The angel speaking to them says, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. A sign. This baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger would be a divine sign. God does not waste signs. When God gives us a sign, He wants us to respond to that sign. He wants us to be alert. This shall be a sign. What? A baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. Now this is a difficult verse for many because when you look at it and you break it down grammatically, really the sign is the baby in the cradle. The cradle was not a normal cradle. You mothers wouldn't go buy one of these cradles to put your baby in. This is the cradle that cradled other things other than babies. So that was odd for a baby to be in a cradle. But this baby was wrapped in cloth. And this is where a lot of conjecture comes in here. Because some would say that these these cloths were the, the ordinary way of mothers for their babies in those times. They just wrapped them in cloths. But they said, no, no, no. Because the word used here for cloth in this verse is not used anywhere else. And it's a special wrapping that is spoken about here. These scholars say this speaks about how a body, a dead body, is wrapped. It speaks of cloths. That are wrapped around a dead body. Now, if that is so, and I am inclined to go with that because it fits so beautifully, if that is so, this is indeed a sign. This babe was born to die. Then they had seen him, who? This baby who was born to die. That's a sign. Signed to mark him out as the one that God had sent. Shepherds therefore had a personal experience or encounter it or encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. That's the first essential ingredient of evangelism. A person who carries the message must be a person who has had. A personal encounter with the Savior. An evangelist must be one who's had a personal encounter with the Savior. That's the first essential ingredient of evangelism, and it's right here in the Christmas story. And so I ask you today, celebrated Christmas, but do you really know the Christ of Christmas? Do you just see him as the baby? Or do you see him as a baby who was born to die for you? Do you really know him? Do you really know this one? During the boxing day luncheon, oh, that was such a wonderful sight. I don't know how many people were there. How many do you think, Beth? About two I, I believe that's wrong. I can speak evangelistically, 300 people were there. Well, we sat down. We tried to talk with the people who were there. Sid sat next to a little girl. She was speaking to I sat between two girls, two young girls. Sid spoke to this little one, and later on she came to tell me that this little one placed faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? Well, the two two girls that I sat behind, I asked them uh, in between, what is Christmas about? The girl on my... Left said, "Well, it's not about my birthday." I said, well, "Whose birthday is?" He says, "Well, it isn't mine. I don't know any friends." He, he says, "I don't know." Remember, I said that some of our children don't know what Christmas is all about. Right here, she didn't know. The other one, on this side, right, said, "It's the birthday of God." Now, that was good, but I think she said that because she didn't really know about Jesus. Really. So here we have here, right here, in our midst, little ones who really don't know about the gift. What does the evangelist do? Exactly what Sid did. Tell the story of Christmas. Why... Did Sid do that? Because there was a time well, this continues of course, and initially when Sid had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ and no one can share the message effectively until you've had that personal experience with Jesus Christ and you've seen that baby as someone who' was born to die for you. And so it was this personal encounter with the person of Christ that qualified the apostle to tell the others of him as well. That's why John says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Personal encounter. Have you had that with Jesus Christ? There's something else here in this story. It also reveals... The basic response that is essential to evangelism. Not only the encounter with the person of Christ. But notice what it says in 17 again. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. This is a magnificent passage of scripture. They couldn't spread the word until they had this personal encounter. But once they had it, Nothing could stop them from spreading the word. They spread the word. Now, literally, the original may also be translated they published abroad, or they publicized, or they spoke publicly about who? This one who they saw wrapped in cloths of death as a baby lying in a an manger. And I believe, beloved, that this should be the natural response, automatic response of all those who have had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, that we publicly tell others about the one whom they have personally encountered. What are you supposed to do after Christmas? To be telling others about the first Christmas. The child who came to die. You see, the implication here is that no one can truly have a genuine personal encounter with Christ and not make him known to others. Not as a natural way of life, a spiritual way of life. To do so, to have a personal encounter with Christ and don't make him known, we don't make him known all the time, that's an abnormal way for a Christian to live. And so the shepherds are a prototype, a model of what Christians should be doing What is that? Telling others about Jesus Christ. I say again, the natural response of a genuine relationship with Christ is to tell others about him. That's basic to effective evangelism on the part of believers. And that's what we are responsible to be doing after Christmas. Telling others about the coming of Christ to die us his name shall be called Jesus why because he shall save his people from the sins and the shepherd saw this little one in the cradle but now look at verse 17 again another element of evangelism the message When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. Notice they did not publicize their experience. They publicized the word about the babe. Sometimes we could get so mixed up in our testimony. We don't say anything about Christ. All we want to show people kind of dirty, filthy sinner we were. You know? we don't say anything about Christ. Not these. They didn't even publicize the glory of the Lord they had experienced when the shepherds, when they were confronted with the angels. What did they publicize? The word concerning what had been told them about this child. And the basic essential message of evangelism is found in this text. They publicized the word concerning the child now the greek word for word here is rima and this word rima means a particular statement a particular word or expression There's another greek word for word and that is what logos let me teach you a little bit more here today because you know let me backtrack here no not backtrack let me go off the track One aim of my ministry here is the principle laid down in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. To get the people of God moving on towards maturity. And one of the necessities, basic things you have to do is to leave the principles. The basic principles. Remember, that's what the writer says. Leaving the elementary things, let us move on. To, to what? To maturity. That's what my ministry is based on. And that's why we go into this without any apology. We want you to move on to maturity. And sometimes it means explaining some of these things. This word, rimo means a particular statement. It means an expression. The word Logos means the complete thought, the whole concept. Jesus is the Logos of God. He's never called the Rema of God. Just one little statement. He's always called the Logos of God. He is the complete thought of God. God's revealed will. He's the Logos of God. But here in our text, the word is Rima that they publicize. This refers to a specific statement. A statement about who? A statement about this child. Now, several important things are seen in this statement. First of all, it has a divine source. Look at verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. The messenger was who? An angel of the Lord. Now, here's another important little word. That preposition tells us a lot about this angel. He was the angel of the Lord. That little preposition means... That he had his origin or source in God. It wasn't on his own here. He had his origin or his source in God. In other words, the message came from God. The message was not the angel's message. It was God's message. That's the point. You get it? It was of divine origin. It came from the God of glory. Now, this divine message was given in the context of the first appearance of the Shekinah glory of God 400 years ago in the Old Testament. And the Shekinah glory had left the people of God because of sin and disobedience. It was never seen again on the face of the earth until this night. To these shepherds, the Shekinah glory came again. Why? Because unto you is born this day in the town of Bethlehem child who is christ the lord his name was what emmanuel mean what god with us god with us has to do with his nature who he was it wasn't a designation nobody called jesus emmanuel god with us the shekinah glory had come back to earth this messenger came midst of the glory of God returning to earth it has its source in God but notice what he said now the character of the message look at verse 10 but the angel said to them do not be afraid I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people It's talking about the nature of the news it's good news not just common everyday news This is the gospel. This is the evangel. Now, good news is only appreciated in the context that there's something bad happening. In other words, suppose somebody had delivered to, what's the Microsoft guy's name? Bill Gates. One of your distant uncles died and left you $1,500. Now tell me something. How do you think Bill Gates would receive that message? He'd probably laugh. But suppose that same messenger had gone to a lady whose husband had died six months ago. The landlord was ready to put her out of the house. Her lights were already off. The gas was off and she was expecting a child in two weeks. And somebody said, we have $1,500 for you. That would be good news. Why is this good news here? Because a Savior has been born. That implies that man needs a Savior. Isn't that right? That's the bad news. Unless you understand the bad news about man, you will never be able to appreciate the good news about Jesus Christ. We've got to get people to realize that they're lost before we can get them to realize that they need to be saved. That's why one of the greatest things we have to do in in Bahamas today is to de-Christianize Bahamians. Because every Bahamian believes they're Christians why because the Savior a Savior you need has been born it's good news it meets a bad situation it comes at a time when man desperately need to hear this good news it came at a time of spiritual darkness and in such a time the gospel radiates the glory of God in all his brightness comes at a time of hopelessness the gospel appears and says peace It produces joy, joy in the midst of sorrow, light when there's no light, peace when there's no peace, joy where there's no joy. That's the character of the Christmas message. It is good news. That's why this gift must continue to be given away by those who've had that encounter with Jesus Christ. But now look at the scope of the message. Look at verse 10 again. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. This news wasn't just for the Jews. It wasn't just for the shepherds. This news was a universal news. This was for everybody. That's good news. Man. See, up to this time, the Jews thought they, don't, they, don't, they were the exclusive people of God. But now the glory of God appears. I say, oh, no, no, I've got good news, and it's not just for you. It's for everybody. Everybody. For all the people. Not only for the poor, but the rich. Not only for the pagan, but for the religious. It's a message for everyone. Men, women, boys, and girls. It's a gift, I say, that must be continually offered to everyone. It's universal. It's scope. And let's look at the content of the messages given here in this cradle of evangelism in this story. What is the specific statement about this child? What was said specifically? The answer is given in verse 11. And this is the message we must proclaim. Notice what it says. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. That's the gospel message. Ooh, let's back up. That's the Christmas message. Now let the impact of this statement, of this truth, grip your soul today after the Christmas event. In the midst of a hopeless, dark and joyless world, the glory of God appears and the message rings out loud and clear. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Wow, what a message. What great news. What terrific news. A Savior. Oh, friends relish this a savior has been born and if you and I do not feel the thrill and the impact of this message then you're not feeling the heartthrob of God when he gave it we must really ask ourselves do you really know the gift of God savior today at long last Messages, God's promises, God's prophecies are being fulfilled. God's plans for man redemption is being put into full gear. A Savior, the Savior, has been born. And notice the message even gets more detailed. It says, Jesus, the Savior. Jesus the Savior. What does this imply? I've mentioned it already. It implies that man needs to be saved. It implies that he's lost. And we must always remember that. The people that we rub shoulders with in our schools, in our businesses, in our offices, in our neighborhoods. Many of them are lost. And they need Jesus Christ as Savior. And it is our privilege to share the gospel with them. Are you doing it? Or are you just waiting for Christmas to come again? Notice, he is the Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ means Messiah. Christ means the anointed one. The one especially chosen of God. In the Old Testament, this is clearly designated here. Who this one would be. Christ is the anointed one. And in the Old Testament, there were only three people who were anointed. One was a prophet. The prophet was one who spoke, for the revealed, for, who spoke forth the revealed will of God. The book of Hebrews tells it that God spoke in time past through various prophets and various means and methods. But in these last days, he's spoken to us through who? His son. That's the end of the message. Boom, finish. Through his son. Alpha and Omega. That's it. And so Jesus Christ, the son born in Bethlehem, is born on that first Christmas was the last word from God to us. Final word. As the prophet, then Jesus Christ, reveals the Father to us through His Word and His Person, He was a, the Savior, was the Prophet. That's why He could be called the Anointed One. But a priest was also anointed. A priest is someone who stands between God and man. That's what I tried to explain as we were having our time of reflection this morning. A priest serves as a bridge builder, a mediator between God and man. Jesus Christ was such a mediator, but he was the perfect mediator. He, because as a perfect man, he's able to take hold of man. And as perfect God, he's able to take hold of God. And he's able to bring us together in reconciliation. Only Jesus Christ can do that. As a result of this reconciliation by God the man and God the Son conscience of sin can be removed and we can worship and serve God freely without fear of condemnation that's why Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 there's one mediator between God and man and that's who? that's the man Christ Jesus, who's this man Christ Jesus? that little babe who's wrapped in the cloths of death in that cradle but a third person who was anointed was a king Jesus Christ of course is a king Because this speaks more of a future ministry than now, although there's a lot of mix-up on that today. But I believe this is more of a future reality than the present one. Although Jesus Christ is, in fact, the king of all believers. But he is primarily the king of the Jews, and he's coming to set up his kingdom in that connection. But he is king. The idea is this, then, that this Savior, who was the anointed one of God, was prophet, priest, and king. Now that means, as such, he can meet Every need of man and every part of his body, spirit, soul, and body. He can meet it perfectly because he was the perfect, perfect Savior. Priest, prophet, and king. And as such, he and he alone can meet the needs of an individual. We have been provided a complete salvation. As prophet, Jesus enlightens the mind darkened by sin through him the glorious light of the gospel can now shine into our darkened heart and mind as priest he provides ongoing cleansing from an evil conscience which gives us the assurance that we are the children of god this produces joy and happiness and causes our emotions to be tuned with the heart and mind of god and as king jesus is our new master now as well as in the future he is the lord whom we willingly obey as loving me, as He lovingly gives His directions through His Word and His Holy Spirit, that's the Savior. Do you know the gift of God? That's the little babe wrapped in those cloths. In the manger. Therefore Jesus Christ meets the needs of our mind, our emotions, and our will. Why? Because these are the elements that make up the human personality. That makes us up as human beings. The Christmas message tells us therefore that God through Jesus Christ, that little babe in the manger, has provided us with a complete, perfect, holistic salvation. That's the message of Christmas. Have you gotten it? That's why we've got to leave the rudiments move on but now what's the purpose of evangelism look at verse 14 remember now you're looking at the elements that are necessary for evangelism the cradle of evangelism verse 14 says glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests that's my translation here here's the end purpose the ultimate purpose of evangelism what is it to get more people into the church To get more people baptized because we could brag how many people come. No, 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 no. You know what the chief end of evangelism is? The glory of God. And then you have people coming around. Well, you know, I I saved five people this week. You know, and they start to put the things on the bells as it were. That's not what he's talking about here. Mm -mm. This evangelism, when we share the message of the gospel, it is for the glory of God. You see, we have the idea today that the only ones who are supposed to be preaching at is people like me with big mouths and my daughter. But when you go to the cradle of evangelism as found in Luke 2, you will see that everyone who's ever had an encounter with Jesus Christ is responsible for sharing the message wherever you are at all times. That's why you see here, we don't have at least now, these evangelistic messages, why? Because it gets people the idea that in order for people to come to save, they've got to come to a meeting. Uh, uh, uh. You know how people get saved? By meeting another Christian who is in love with Jesus Christ. That's how they get saved. You are responsible before God to share this message. Every day of your life. If you're not, you're not being true to the Christmas message. That's what it's saying. We had George yesterday, the other day, people come into office counseling how we could lead people to Christ. People for membership was coming in. One of the questions, are you a Christian? People come to faith in Christ when they realize they're not. Would you? You take the opportunities, the buy up, the opportunities to talk to people about Christ, your customers, your employees, your employees. That's what this is all about. The ultimate. Purpose for the message of evangelism is the glory of God. This is the purpose for the coming of Christ to Bethlehem's manger. To bring glory to God. Why should I evangelize? Why should I tell other people about this Christmas gift? Why should you publicize the good news of the coming of Jesus Christ? Why should you make your faith public? Because that's how you can glorify God in your life that's why and that's why we're here the only purpose why we're his believers is to glorify God everything else is secondary everything else if God wanted just to get us to heaven he'd take us up the moment we said yes to Christ he would beam us up but he didn't because he wants to use you to tell others about Jesus Christ Jesus Christ is not given for us to keep wrapped up in all to ourselves but we are to give him away. Now notice the demand of the message of evangelism, verse 14, peace to man on whom his favor rests. Peace, that's what he came to give. Peace among man with whom he is well pleased. Who is God well pleased with? See, people mistranslate this verse. They think he just comes and therefore there's peace. Well, you know that isn't true. No, he comes to give peace to those who would accept the babe in the manger as their savior. That's people with whom he is well pleased. Those who would accept that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world. God is pleased with those people and to those people he gives his peace. Beloved, you and I have been committed to the word of reconciliation. That word is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That was the word spoken in Bethlehem 2,000 years and so ago. And so I ask you right now as we close. Those of you who have encountered Jesus Christ, the Christ of Christmas, by placing faith in him as your Savior, what will you do now that Christmas Day is over? Will you keep him to yourself? Or will you see to it that the gift goes on by giving and making him known in your community to a world dying in sin and looking for peace, looking for joy, looking for salvation. They're looking for a messenger. And you are that messenger. God's purpose then for us as believers is to make Christmas to be an ongoing experience in the life of those with whom we encounter on a daily, whom we encounter on a daily basis, because every time we lead someone to Jesus Christ, the person is born again. Why? Because Jesus Christ is born again in that person's heart. Our life becomes the new cradle. Anybody who encounters us should see Christ. That's how the message continues. Jesus is born again in the heart and life of the person who places faith in him. That's the way the Christmas gift goes on. My friend, I ask you today as a believer will you commit yourself in 2007 to be a faithful messenger of the word concerning the Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's what the Christmas story is all about. It's the cradle of evangelism. Pray with me. Perhaps you've never placed faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, and today you want to do that. As we explained at the beginning of our service, simply acknowledge that you were a sinner, that Christ died in your place in Calvary's cross and was raised again for your justification, and that you were trusting him and him alone, the basis for your salvation. That's all you have to do. That's all you have to do to do that. For those of you who have accepted Christ, or had an encounter with him, may you commit right now in your heart, before God, to tell the story of Jesus, the story of Christmas, every day of your life. Make that commitment right now.